Hello and welcome to Galactic Chat. I'm David McDonald and today I get to speak to Peter Kleins. Peter Kleins grew up in the Stephen King fallout zone of Maine and inspired by comic books, Star Wars and Saturday morning cartoons, started writing at the age of eight with his first epic novel, Lizard Men from the Centre of the Earth. He made his first writing sale at the age of 17 to a local newspaper, and at the age of 19 he completed his quadruple PhD studies in English Literature, Archaeology, Quantum Physics and Interpretive Dance. In 2008, while surfing Hawaii's Kaiwala Beach, he thought up a viable way to maintain cold fusion that would also solve world hunger, but forgot all about it when he ran into actress Yvonne Straborsky back on the beach and she offered to buy him a drink. He was an inspiration for both the epic poem Beowulf and the motion picture Raiders of the Lost Ark, and is single-handedly responsible for repelling the Martian invasion of 1938 that occurred in Grover Mills, New Jersey. Eleven sonnets he wrote to impress a girl in high school were all later found and attributed to Shakespeare. He is the author of numerous short stories, Ex-Heroes, Expatriates, 14, The Eerie Adventures of the Lycanthrope Robson Crusoe, and as yet discovered, undiscovered Dead Sea Scrolls. Pretty impressive resume, um, Peter. I, I'm assuming that's about 95% true. Um, more or less, yeah. yeah. Thanks, for, thanks, for, thanks for joining us today. It's uh, good to have you here. Um, so, so, got lots of exciting stuff happening in your world to talk about. Um, when I, I've been a fan of your writing for quite a while now, uh, and when I, when I first came across your work, you worked for Permuted Press, a small press specialising in zombie and post-apocalyptic books. But at that point, they were already um, a bit of a breakout hit for them, and now you've got multiple books out with a major publisher, so you're living in the uh, small press author's dreams. Can you tell us a little bit about the journey? Um, well, I mean, it... I don't know. It wasn't entirely as breakout and amazing as, as you like, as you make it sound. Um, essentially I had done, uh, four books with permuted. Um, one of which had bombed horribly actually, which was the, the lycanthrope Robinson Crusoe that you mentioned. Um, and then, uh, honestly when X heroes first came out, it didn't do that well either. Um, I, I basically had X heroes, come out it did kind of eh, and then the crusoe book came out and just bombed um and when expatriates came out and people realized i think that it was a series that lifted the whole thing up lifted the whole series up a bit um then i had 14 which did very well um and then while i was working on my next book uh i actually got contacted by an agent so I, i would love to say that like the whole living the dream thing is remotely you know, something I did that I had some active part in it. Um, but honestly, I did very, very little. Um, I, I am that really disgusting person who had a lot of it dropped in his lap. Um, I'm ashamed to say, uh, essentially I had an agent, uh, get in touch with me and say, you know, I think we could, we could go places. We could do a lot more. And to be terribly honest, I turned him down, uh, the first time he got in touch with me and the second time he got in touch with me, you know, we, we talked on the phone and everything and I just kind of felt like I'd found my, my little niche and that was, you know, it, but, uh, he was very dedicated and, um, basically convinced me to let him, uh, try to get some attention from other places. And he ended up taking the book to uh, crown publishing, which is a subsidiary of random house. And, they loved it, so they republished the first two X Heroes books and then published two more. 
and then they published another book called The Fold. And uh, as as we're talking now, tomorrow they're putting out the fifth X Heroes book, Exile. So there's that. And and honestly, I I still have no idea how any of it all happened. Really. Well, the X series has got perhaps the best elevator pitch ever. Um, whenever I told my friends about it, and I just, I just say that the superheroes fighting zombies, and that's enough to get them hooked. Um, can you tell us a bit about the X series and where the concept came from? Sure. Um, X heroes basically was okay. It's kind of like a, a two-part thing. Um, the well, okay. The basic premise of the series is that. It's a world where there were superheroes, um, you know, actual people in costume fighting crime who had superpowers of one level or another. Um, and then a zombie apocalypse happened and the superheroes failed to save the world. Um, so as the series begins, it is um, a year later. When, when the first book begins, it's been almost exactly one year since civilization fell and the heroes are living in a, a fortress they've converted from an old film studio here in Hollywood. I live in Los Angeles. Um, and trying with the people they've managed to help survive in, in Los Angeles, you know, all gathered together here, they're trying to create some kind of life again um, with, you know, in the post-zombie apocalypse world. Um, as far as where the series came from, uh, To, to politely put it, a, a major comic company had come out, had been, at the time, this is about 10 years ago now, uh, advertising a Zombies versus Superheroes comic book series. And I saw it pitched in, like, I think it was uh, previews or one of the comic book guides like that. And it just sounded so cool that they want to do this Romero-style story with superheroes. And then when it came out, it, it really wasn't anything like that. Uh, it was kind of, well, I, I don't know. I know a lot of people loved it. I found it really flat and boring and just, I don't know. I, I just didn't like it. And I felt like it missed a huge number of opportunities. Uh, so I ended up sitting down and scribbling out just notes to myself on a legal pad of, you know, I would have done this and I would have had this and an arc like this with this character and put this spin on that and that spin on this. Um, and that probably would have been it. It just would have been one of those, you know, what I would have done with it sort of things that I think we've all done at some point or another. Um, except about a couple months after that, my girlfriend and I moved in together and into a much bigger apartment. So I actually had an office now and I got to unpack a lot of crates. I've been hauling around for ages, different boxes and stuff. And one of them was a bunch of sketch pads that I had had as a kid with tons of comic book characters I had made up when I was younger. Um, characters like the Mighty Dragon and Cerberus and Zap and the Driver and Gorgon and Kyrax. And I started looking at them and realized, you know, a lot of these are sort of very basic superhero archetypes. You know, the the sort of Boy Scout super strong character, the armored character, the energetic character the Batman character. And uh, I realized with some little tweaking and updating, most of them would fit into all the slots for that story I wanted to tell. Um, and so that's what happened was I just sat down and started scribbling stuff out and 
bounce it off the then publisher Permuted, and he liked the sound of it. And I think I wrote the first. I think I wrote X Heroes in about six months that summer, and the rest, as they say, is history. So throughout the series, um, you've explored all sorts of themes, um, like from what being a hero actually means to, to nature of faith and how that affects the way people live. You're up to the fifth book now. Um, how hard has it been to keep keep it fresh? You know, um, I mean, from my point of view as a, as a reader, um, it's certainly every book has been something something different and something fresh. So how, how much of a challenge has that been? It, it's getting kind of challenging, um, mostly just because the series is still ongoing. Um, I I have the one advantage, which a couple of people picked up on, that on, on one level I've been trying to sort of explore and play with a lot of your basic tropes from comic books, um, which is, you know, I, I dabble in magic, I dabble in alternate realities, I dabble, dabble in, you know, all these things all while keeping this, you know, zombies versus superheroes thing going. Um, you know, I don't know if I probably won't be able to keep it up forever. I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that maybe after uh, Exile I might get maybe two, maybe three more books after that. But I think at that point I'd probably done. The The real challenge, honestly, has been titles. Um, because... As a couple of people have caught, the uh, all the titles can be read two ways in the in the series. One, you know, like the if you just replace X with zombie, then all the titles can be read that way of zombie heroes, zombie patriots, zombie communication, uh, which becomes a running theme in it. But each of them also, uh, each title sort of represents another idea, like with X patriots. The, the backup idea is expatriates as in people who don't live in their country anymore, um, which is a, a theme in the book. Um, excommunication is about religion, and religion is a big theme in that book. Um, so as it goes on and on, exile clearly has the same thing, but it is getting harder and harder to come up with X words that work for that. <laughs> so... So we don't want to give away too much about Exile, but um, can you give us a brief rundown on what we can expect? Uh, I suppose I can. I, I hate saying too much because, you know, I'm always I'm always worried I'm going to... Well, I don't know. I like it when people go into something cold and don't know. Um, really basically put, uh, we're a couple months after the last book now, um, and our heroes have found another group of survivors um that group being essentially they found a ton of different ships that have all sort of been moored together in the middle of the ocean to make this sort of huge freeform island out there um and at the same time they're also trying to expand in los angeles and set up sort of a second a forward base sort of out in uh if anyone listening if you know los angeles at all out in the valley, which is basically right over the mountains uh, from Hollywood proper, where the mount is, their base in uh, the books. And now they're expanding out to search even more. So it's this double story of expansion, meeting new people, and 
again, of course, finding different issues and problems in both places. So, so you mentioned Los Angeles. Obviously, that's um, a big, a big part of the series is the the location it's set in. Um, so you're you're a, a is it a Los Angelesan? Um, and you <laughs> think Angelino a, actually is Angelino, Los Angelino. Okay. <laughs> that's the the culture gap here. Um, so. It's it's based in that area and especially has a lot of connections with Hollywood as as do yourself. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your your Hollywood experiences, just uh, yeah. for the listeners who aren't maybe familiar with that? Um, I, I actually started off in well, I didn't start off in Hollywood, but uh, I kind of I moved to California kind of on a almost a dare, really, right after I got out of college, because um, I grew up in New England. Actually, I, I'm from Maine. I went to school in Massachusetts and I, I got out of college. And at the time I had a teaching degree, which nobody was hiring teachers at the time. Uh, I ended up working in a mall for about a year, um, hating life. And a, another, a friend of mine from college who was also at the mall, just one day we were having lunch together in the food court. And she just said, you know, I'm moving to California in two weeks. Do you want to come? And I said, you know what? Yes. Yes, I do. And I, Drove with her out to California, and somehow in less than a year, I had stumbled into the movie industry uh, and was working on TV shows, movies, stuff like that. Um, I ended up working as a prop master for about 15 years on a ton of different shows, uh, you know, cable shows, network shows, uh, some shows you may have heard of, um, very few of which lasted any amount of time. So, But enough cult stuff, I think. I mean, I worked on one of the Beastmaster movies. Uh, I worked on a show called Veronica Mars that a lot of people liked, uh, worked on, I did a, a little cult movie called Psycho Beach Party, which I'm actually in, uh, if you know where to look for me. So, so, um, this, this might just be the way it came across to me, but certainly reading, um, ex-heroes especially it it really did come across as a movie waiting to happen um just with the structure of it, it seems perfectly suited has your involvement um with that industry has that affected you, your writing style at all i i think so yeah i mean one thing i mean i worked in the industry so obviously at the time i was seeing script after script after script and then actually when i when i first left and became a full-time writer um i was actually writing for a magazine at first for the first like three years that I was out of the film industry, three, four years, um, I was making most of my money uh, writing for websites, a magazine, some online newsletters, uh, doing film reviews, interviews, stuff like that. So I would see even more screenplays. Um, and I, I think on some level there is a very much a, I think there's like a universality, I guess would be the way to put it to storytelling that, a good story is a, is a good story regardless. Um, for me, one thing that, that seeing all this uh, brought out was, I guess it, it really brought out sort of a minimalism in storytelling that you don't need to take two paragraphs to describe somebody's hat. You know, um, you don't need a, a page to have Bob punched John that, a lot of screenwriting is just being fast and concise and, you know, bang, bang, bang. And that is, is kind of one of the things that became very big for me was just trying 
as I started writing more and more fiction, which I'd been writing all along, but once I started uh, back on it much more seriously, was trying to just uh, keep everything that that kind of brief feel. And I and I think that's one of the reasons uh, the books come across as very cinematic. That there isn't a lot of I don't want to say wasted words because that's that's cruel. And there are a lot of phenomenal writers who do who do great things and and manage to be much more verbose than me about it. Um, but just for me, at least, I think that's that's why it appeals to people and why they they see it very cinematically because it's all happening at a good, fast cinematic speed. So, I think we've discussed this in the past on, on the message boards, or it might have been something you said in an interview, but um, there's a great scene in... Um, oh, I've got to remember the name of the movie now. Um, the one about the dragon apocalypse. Uh, oh, uh, Rain, Rain of, of Fire. Rain of Fire. There's a great scene yeah. where um, they're acting out... A friend out, of mine actually um, wrote that. Yeah, yeah, and there's that great scene um, where they're acting out Star Wars for the kids. Yes. And it's really that essence of storytelling that, you know, can be communicated so simply. Yeah, and that's and that's such a great scene because it, it tells you so many things on so many levels. Like, do you remember at the end of it when the little kid walks up and says, like, wow, did you make, did you make that story up? And he's like, yes, yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Which, which tells you right there, like how long things have been like this that these kids have no clue what's going on. So, yeah, I love I love stuff like that. I, I think there's so much great stuff in storytelling. I love watching TV shows. I love watching movies when the the storytellers involved, be it the screenwriter, the director, um, you know, they just manage to to just make something really amazing happen with such with just little words with so many few things i don't know so many few things wow i write for a living you can tell that can't you <laughs> well okay i'm gonna put you on the spot with a question um i was sure. we were on a panel um a couple of months ago and we we're talking about how um television's almost overtaken movies in terms of storytelling because effects have caught up and budgets and stories can be told over this huge sort of season long arc and, and that sort of thing. So if, if you had to choose, um, it was one or the other, uh, the, the X universe, would you rather it made into a movie or a TV series? Ooh, tough call. Um, I mean, part of me wants to say a TV series. Okay. Actually, that's a lie. Um, really, I think four X for the X heroes universe, it would almost have to be a movie um, just because yeah, TV has caught up immensely with all this stuff, but I think the X heroes series relies on so many things, you know, like, like we look at something like the walking dead and we go, Oh, well, okay. We can do big crowds of zombies. That's not a problem. And then, you know, we look at agents of shield or Supergirl or the flash and we think, oh, well, we can do, you know, superhero special effects. We can do strong people, fast people, flying people, you know, all that sort of stuff. That's no problem. But I think it's it's easy to forget that these are all, these are all separate things on television. That I think if you looked at The Walking Dead, probably a big chunk of their budget is zombies. And if you looked at The Flash, a big chunk of their budget is all the speed effects. Um, you know, a big chunk of Supergirl is flying. So to mash them all together into one show would suddenly make that show very, very expensive. Um, 
or they would have to just sort of cut everything and make it as like as minimalist as possible. Like you never really see anyone fly just sort of like people walk out of frame and everyone looks up like, wow, look at him fly away. (laughs) Um, Which I think you can pull off if you've got a really good director and all. Um, I mean, Joss Whedon used to do stuff like that all the time on Buffy, but again, even on Buffy, a very minimalist show where it's not like everybody on Buffy was superhuman. And even the people who were superhuman were sort of like not visually superhuman, if that makes sense. Like, like Buffy doesn't glow or shoot fire or anything like that. Um, so I don't know. It's the difference between that and, you know, Supergirl where she's, literally flying and moving at super speed and shooting lasers out of her eyes and all that. Um, so yeah, I guess I would have to say that X heroes would overall benefit from being a, a TV show over, uh, or sorry, benefit from being a movie over a TV show. But yeah, I can think of a, a number of, um, well, I don't want to give it away for people who haven't read it, but there's a number of (laughs) scenes that where where minimalists would, would take away a lot of the the impact of them so right um, yeah some of the some of the uh the the larger scenes um that's that's just it the the joy of books is i could i've i've essentially written this you know multi-million dollar movie that yes to make this this would be like a 250 million dollar movie because we need monsters and we need zombies and we need flying guy and we need a giant robot we need you know on and on and on and on and yeah, we, you could do a lot of that with cheaper things, you know? I mean, they've got the Atom right now on TV um, for guy in an armored bodysuit. We have Supergirl. But I think to, to keep it true to what it is in the books, it would probably have to be uh, a movie. Have you ever thought about um, who would play certain characters? Oh, God, yeah, of course. Um, but I'm also, again, because of my, my time in the industry, I also know there's almost no chance of like any of my ideas ever making it anywhere. Um, I know at one point, a couple of years back, uh, Nathan Fillion, Nathan Fillion, uh, from Firefly and Castle is actually a big fan of the series. Um, he, he loves the books and he was actually one of the people who I think gave me a little push originally because he tweeted about how much he loved them. Um, and then I know right after that, there were, I don't think I'm allowed to say, so I'm I'm just going to say there were certain parties who were actually interested in an X heroes series. And there was some concept art floating around for a while. And in that Hollywood way, a lot of the concept art had a very Nathan Fillion looking, uh, St. George mighty dragon, um, so there was that, um, personally, I've always thought, uh, I mean, nothing against Nathan Fillion because if Nathan Fillion wanted to do it, that'd be fantastic. But, <laughs> um, I always actually pictured, uh, him looking a little more like Zachary, the Pitchford St. George looking more like Zachary Levi from, uh, Heroes Reborn and Chuck. So. I think it's a, a- it's a game that um, all writers play at some point. Is that that casting I, I, thing? Um, oh yeah, I mean these days you you almost have to. You know, you just start thinking of oh, who would this be? Who would that be? And I also think it's neat though when 
you know, you don't. And every now and then you don't think of it all. And then randomly someone else will pop up. There's a, in one of my other books, 14, there's a character named Veek. And I think the book had been out for maybe two or three months. And there was a Doctor Who episode. Um, and now I'm blanking on the exact name of it, but it was, uh, do you watch Doctor Who? Uh, I'm a Doctor Who fanboy from way back. Okay. Do you remember the, do you remember the episode? It was one of the, the Matt Smith episodes with the the mysterious hotel that all the people were trapped in. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, there's an actress named Amara. I'm, I'm probably butchering the pronunciation. So if she hears this, I'm very sorry. Uh, her name's Amara Karan. I believe that's how you pronounce it. She was the, the young doc, the actual medical doctor in the episode who showed up. Um, and I thought I saw her on screen and thought, Oh my God, that's exactly what I thought it should look like. Um, so just anytime anyone has talked about the show about 14 ever as a TV show or anything, I sort of, you know, it would be fantastic as Veek would be, <laughs> but that was something where it was like after the fact at the time I had not pictured Veek looking like anyone. And then, like I said, months after the book came out, this actor showed up who was just absolutely perfect for it. So. Oh, hopefully one day you'll get to make those, those calls. Well, I, I, I might actually, there's, well, I won't, but the calls might be made. Um, actually 14 has been, uh, optioned for a TV series. So we will see what happens with that. That's awesome. I think, um, you're talking about the God complex. Yes. That was the name. Uh, yes. With the, the reference back to horns of the Nymon said the other doctor who fanboy. <laughs> Yeah, I, um, I've been I've been doing this whole review series of new Doctor Who um, as a someone who only watched the classic Doctor Who and then didn't watch the new stuff for about five years after it started, um, not yeah. for any particular reason. Um, so seeing all the the throwbacks to the old series has been been a lot of fun. Um, sorry, no, I was just gonna say, I, th- I think one of my favorites to date was still uh, I think it was the first Christmas episode with. Um... Ah, my brain is just shutting off. The Christmas Invasion. Was that it? No. Yeah. The one with the giant rock over London and the Sycorax. But at one point when they're in unit headquarters and one of the guys is like, so wait, if the signal's not coming from there, they might not actually be from Mars. And one of the unit guys just looks at him and he's like, of course not. Martians look completely different. (laughs) (laughs) That, that's been one of the things that I've loved the most is that they've, they've deliberately tried to link a lot of stuff back rather than just pretending the old stuff never happened. Um, exactly. Yeah, it's and, just been wonderful. But I could talk Doctor Who for hours, but... <laughs> That'll be our probably... next interview. We'll just talk. <laughs> yeah, book it in. Sounds fun to me. Um, well, this probably leads into our next question to a degree anyway. Um uh, I, as I said, I've, I've been a fan of your writing for a long time, so I've read most of your work. Um, I think the only thing I haven't read is The Fold, but you've explored um, all sorts of, um, of, of styles. You've done mashups of, of classic literary works um, to writing science fiction, um, to writing zombies. Uh, obviously, Stephen King living in his fallout zone, but um, what, what, are your, what are some of your influences or what are some of the writers that have 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 shaped the way that you've gone about your work? Uh, um, this is one of those questions everyone always hates getting. Um, I, my personal belief is I don't think there's, if 
if you start writing to any extent, even if you're just doing it for yourself, whatever, um, I think everything you read is going to influence you one way or another, either in the, wow, someday I hope I can pull off something like that, or in the, oh, dear God, I must remember never to do that like that. Um, you know, that being said, uh, I'm a, I'm a huge Ray Bradbury fan. I think the, the stuff he does with language is great. Um, a, a big Lee child fan, uh, Dan Abnett, you know, there's, there's honestly, I, I could turn around and look at my bookshelves and just rattle off, you know, person after person, Stephen King, Dean Koontz, Edgar Rice Burroughs, Clive Barker, um, and then, of course, there's all the comic books I read growing up. You know, there's Bill Mantelow, Stan Lee, you know, uh, Chris Claremont, all these people I read as a kid that, you know, fed superhero stories into my my brain. Tom DeFalco. Um, I don't know. I, I honestly, I could just name influences forever. Um, and then, hell, we could go start going into movies. And then we're talking about George Lucas and we're talking about. Uh, there's there's so many people uh so many writers and and still getting influenced you know there there are writers who are friends who i look at some of their stuff and think oh damn it that is so cool that's so perfect you know i think that's the the weirdest thing now is that i actually know some of these people that it's so bizarre for me now to read a book and get caught up in something and then realize like holy crap i've like had drinks with this person it's actually came out of that person's head, and I'm reading it now. Um, so, I know that's like a kind of a crap answer. I know for the for that question, but sorry, it, it is it is one of those questions that you know, <laughs> it's so open ended. So, so to narrow it down a bit, what what are you reading or watching at the moment? Ah, uh, well, okay, watching. Let's see. Um, like in the new X Files that they've brought back. Um, like I mentioned before, I'm on. I'm a fan of a lot of the superhero stuff on TV right now. Supergirl, The Flash, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Agent Carter. You know, I think all those things are great. Um, what else am I watching? The Blacklist, Legends of Tomorrow. Um, I am that rare guy. Please no one hate me for this. I actually like Elementary more than Sherlock, um, which I know in, in some quarters that's like huge fighting words. But... Um, I don't know. I just, I like, I'm not, I don't dislike Sherlock, but I, you know, the BBC Sherlock, but um, I'm just really enjoying elementary with uh, Johnny Miller and Lucy Liu. I, I think it's fun. And I really love tuning in for it every week. Um, reading. I, let's see. I, I just actually two nights ago, last night, actually, I just finished a experimental film by Jenna miles, which is kind of like a found footage book is the best way to describe it. And it is creepy as hell. Um, really loved it. Uh, before that, I reread actually a bunch of old hand solo books from when I was a kid. And uh, what else, what else, what else, what else? I read a wonderful book called the voodoo killings by a woman named Christy cherish. Uh, but that doesn't actually come out for another three months. Uh, I got to see an early copy of it. Um, again, I could I could probably babble about this for a while. So, <laughs> well, that, that's okay. You're the 
you're the interviewee, so you can <laughs> talk about whatever you want. But um, Supergirl is an interesting one that you've mentioned. Um, I've been been watching that and really enjoying it. Um, I didn't know whether I would, but one of the things I like about it is um, I think with a lot of superhero stuff, there's been that tendency towards the the gritty sort of grim stuff or the anti-hero yeah. type thing. But Supergirl's fun. It's bright, but it's also uh, sort of almost traditional heroism uh like i'm yeah my, i'm a big fan of superman and captain america because of those you know they're that old school sort of superhero um and I, I one of the things i enjoyed about your books is the examination of of, of heroism um and, and what that means i mean obviously being a post-apocalyptic zombie sort of world it, it is quite dark and gritty but your approach to heroism is in some ways quite old school well, that was actually one of my goals with it. I am, I am an old school, you know, comic book fan. I grew up with, uh, to horribly date myself, some of like the big Marvel. I started reading comics. My first regular series was actually the Marvel Star Wars comics. Uh, was actually the first comic book series I started collecting, and then really shortly after that, I started reading Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, Rom was actually a big. It, it sounds silly, and I know everyone thinks of it as like this cheesy throwback thing. I thought Rom was such a great uh, comic book series. Um, I don't know, as as like an inspirational character, basically. And again, Captain America, like you just said, Superman. Um, it it bothers me that so many heroes have become dark and gritty, and I and I like Supergirl that it is kind of it is lighter. It is more fun. I like the fact that, um, you know, the Marvel movies overall are light and funny. Even when things get horribly, you know, bad and dark and gritty in them, they're kind of fun. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. That, that was my goal. I wanted to have fun with the series, with the, the characters. I, this, as you can tell, I'm kind of scatterbrained because I've got like I have many thoughts on this topic, <laughs> um, and I could probably rant on I don't know gritty superheroes versus positive superheroes, realism versus escapism. Uh, th- that can be our third interview that we'll just talk about that for ages. <laughs> it's, it's a subject I've been known to get on the soapbox about. So that, but yeah. one of my one of my one of my favorite things about it, I guess, was that Saint George really is um, all about you know the responsibility of being a hero, you know, of trying to do the right thing, even when it's not, he's sort of that, to me, he represents that, that archetype of, of that sort of, of hero, like the Superman or the, the Captain America, um, rather than in an attempt to be, and I'm doing quotation marks here, realistic, all of a sudden, you know, he isn't a hero anymore. Um, so I've really enjoyed that. That was always one of one of my, like you were saying, soapbox. One of the things I have I have felt and talked about a couple times is I think there's a big difference between a superhero story and a superpower story, um, in the sense that there are lots of stories like, uh, okay, think of Firestarter by Stephen King, about this little girl who can set things on fire, milk, burn things with her mind. Obviously, she has superpowers. Is that a superhero story, though? You know, The Dead Zone is about a guy with superpowers. It's a guy who can see the future and change the future, you know, affect things. But is that a superhero story? Um, 
I think a lot of things in, in the name of, again, the finger quotes, realism, uh, a lot of characters that we had thought of as superheroes for ages have sort of veered into becoming superpower stories. And I think it is a very different thing. Um, it was very important to me to try and keep all the X books as superhero stories that I wanted this to be about people who were aspiring to be bigger, greater, and wanted to inspire other people, you know, that I think the minute you have these characters who start going on personal vendettas, who start going on, you know, uh, who, who it becomes very personal, then I think you're no longer really dealing with superhero characters. I mean, if, if you think of the, in my mind, I think the, the best purest superhero character out there is Spider-Man. And one of the things about it is how often just classically, you know, Peter Parker would go out to do something as Spider-Man and it would completely screw up his own life again and again and again. And he just sort of willingly accepted this is the price of being Spider-Man, that my life is going to be screwed up. Whereas these days, I, I got to be honest, I have not picked up a Spider-Man comic in about probably coming up on 10 years now or so just because I was getting so frustrated with it. Um, I think when Peter Parker was it sold his soul to the devil to bring on May back to life, um, which is our, our fifth interview. We'll just talk about that. No, I'm sorry. Um, but I, I, I always liked the fact that Spider-Man was this guy who this is just what he has to do. That the whole with great power comes great responsibility thing. And the best he can do is try and minimize its effect on his life by wearing a mask and keeping everyone from knowing who he really is. Um, and so that's kind of what I wanted that even though a lot of the characters in the X hero series have given up actually having a secret identity. Um, I think really the only one stealth is the only one who actively has a secret identity anymore. And Cerberus sort of has the default one just because no one ever sees her face. Um, but they're all still trying to be heroes. They're all still trying to be bigger, be better, you know, and not make it about them. Make it about, we have these abilities, we have to do this for everybody else. So, anyway, that's me blabbing on again. No, no, that's, uh, look, I mean, Man of Steel for me um, was a, a disappointment for a lot of those reasons. In that, you know, it's a great oh, movie. If you want to see, if you want to see superpowers being used, it's a great movie. But if you want to see a superhero movie or a Superman movie, it it fails because it it misses the point of heroism to me. Uh, but that's yeah, my soapbox. Exactly. So this is, point of, this is the point of Superman. The whole idea of Superman is that exactly. he's supposed to be the better guy. He's the guy who doesn't have to take the lazy route and oh, I don't know, you know, break the villain's neck and say there's no other way to stop them. You know, that was always the thing. Um, I think, crap, and now I'm, I'm completely blanking on who it was. I think it was Grant Morrison. Um, but don't quote me on that. Grant Morrison, who... who uh, was Grant Morrison the guy who did the, the Sun Gods book? Um, Sun Gods and Superheroes and what they can teach us? Oh, uh, I'm totally blank. Anyway, um, I'm 99% sure it was Grant Morrison. He, he brought up this great point that the whole thing about Superman 
isn't that he has these powers. The great thing about Superman is that he's a guy who was just raised with pure, honest, middle America values about being a good person, about trusting people, about believing in people. Um, and he has the powers to actually live like that, that we all have, we all have values that we wish we could live by, but just the necessity of the world forces us to, you know, I want to be more charitable. I want to be more supportive. I want to spend more time on that. And I just can't, you know, I can't, you can't, most of the people listening to this can't because it's just not, a viable option for us, but it is for him that the, the great thing about Superman isn't that he's got all these powers. It's that he gets to be Clark Kent all the time that in the, that in the midst of war zones in the midst of alien invasions, he gets to be this guy from small town America who says, Whoa, 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 hang on now. We don't need to fight over this, you know? And yeah, like, like you said, man, of steel just really kind of missed that in favor of Jonathan Clark trying to kill school children or however that went. Well, that, that was a bit where they lost me. I mean, Jonathan Kent's <laughs> always been the, the moral compass of Superman. Um, and yeah, that, that whole, yeah. it's not about Superman. It's not about whether Superman can do something because he can do anything he wants. It's about whether he should do something. And I think a lot of, yeah, a lot of the, I guess the, the more gritty superheroes, that moral question doesn't come into play. It's really, yeah, the, the, the means just, the, the end justifies the means, but with Superman, it's all about the means as well. Right. Doing it the right way. You know, speaking of of Jonathan Kent, what I think it really is, is that classically Superman, Superman is a hero because of his earth parents, that his, his parents on earth, the Kents instill these values in him. And that's what makes him a hero. That, like, like I was saying, he can, no matter what he does, no matter what the situation is, he can live by those values because he's never in a position that he can't. And in Man of Steel, they're sort of trying to tell us that Superman becomes a hero despite that. That really his parents are modern day Americans. They're, they're suspicious. They're doubting. They don't trust anyone. They tell him not to trust anyone. They tell him, don't trust the government. Don't trust people. Don't tell anyone your secrets. Hide yourself from the world. And and yet somehow out of that, he becomes a hero. Even though like I, I, I there have been so many people pointed out online, like, I don't know, the whole, the whole plot of Man of Steel doesn't make a lot of sense as you look at it. I, I think there's a, I picked up on this a while back. I, I was ranting on Twitter. I think it's a very telling thing that uh, the classic Superman two with Christopher Reeve at the end of it, you know, he's had this huge battle with the other Kryptonians and the movie ends with Superman going around trying to repair things. One of the last shots is him carrying like a new dome for the white house. And he comes flying in and like, you know, puts the new dome in place with an American flag on it and everything. Um, and in the new movie, the last shot is Superman destroying something else that he basically like tears a drone out of the sky and throws it at these people driving along in a car just to make a point. 
And the, and the point really is, look, there's nothing you can do to me. I'm unstoppable. Laws don't apply to me. And it, it's just not Superman. I don't know. Now we're now we're blabbing and ranting, and I don't want to sound that negative. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's one of my subjects. So, but I guess the mm-hmm. the positive side is that um, that's one of the things. As I said, that's one of the things I think X Heroes captured really well was that, um, you know, doing the right thing even when it's even when it's tough uh, and impose. You know, the fact that Saint George imposes limits on himself, and when you know he could be he could be a dictator rather than being a hero. Um, but anyway, I won't say any more about the books because I want people to read them. Um, but I think that's that's a really fresh approach. Um, so we've covered a lot of ground. Um, and sorry to take you off on a tangent there with the superhero stuff. No, no, no. It's great. Um, but what's what's next for Peter Klein's? Um, well, obviously, like, like we were saying, uh, as we speak, Exile comes out tomorrow. Um, in fact, actually, I think right now as we speak, it's downloading to Kindles in the United Kingdom. Uh, and in like two hours, it'll be downloading on the East Coast of America. Um, so that's tomorrow from as we record this. I'm not really sure when you're when you're listening to this. They're at home. Um, the thing I'm working on right now is sort of a sort of a time travel horror adventure novel. Um, I think that's probably the best way to put it. Um, it's something I've been thinking of for a while and working on poking at for a while. Um, I'm having a lot of fun with it. Um, my biggest worry right now is I, I just sort of keep writing it that it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger as I go. Um, as I come up with, Oh, and I could do this. So I could do that. Um, so at some point I have to sort of rein it in and start editing so I can give it to my editor. Um, after that, I hopefully fingers crossed if, if people are interested, I will be doing another X book. And then I have an idea for like another freestanding trilogy and somewhere in there. Uh, I know a lot of people would love to see another book in the, the Katuraverse, as I've been calling the, uh, the books that are 14 in the fold and all those. So, so we'll see. That's, <laughs> that should keep me busy until 2022 or so. Awesome. Well, well, we'll be looking forward to all that. Um, thank you very much for joining us on the show. Uh, it's been great having you and I'll be looking forward to reading Exile very soon. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs>